Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew and Jay. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode eight for season eight. This episode was recorded on Sunday, the 23rd of September, 2018. This episode was also sponsored by Sentry.io. I'm Jay Strawn here with my no longer flu endowed season eight co-host, Drew Freeman. Hi, Drew. Hi. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, the the recording is so much more difficult when you've got a sinus thing and and, and you're all crunched up and everything's just draining. Glad you're here. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I'm here, too. I have not (laughs) been in any shape to do anything. Our guest this episode is Daryl Bayless, co-author with Tom Blankenship on the book The Android Apprentice. Daryl is on the line with us from Liverpool. He's a software engineer by trade. His current focus is mobile programming and away from programming. He's usually reading, writing on his blog, playing some fantastical video game involving magic and dragons. Feel free to catch him on Twitter. His Twitter will be in the show notes. Check out his coding scribbles on GitHub. Hey, it's good to be here. I'm so glad you could join us for this. Once again, it'll be an interesting dive because Jay is definitely more of the Android person than I am, so I'm going to learn something, but it's good because you are the author of The Apprentice, which means you can start being a rookie. <laughs> yeah, and first of all, calling me the more of an Android expert than you, I've made a to-do list for Android. That's about as far as I've gotten with Android development. Um, but Like I say, an expert. <laughs> no, Daryl's the expert here. Do you want to talk about the second half of the show today? But the second half of our show is going to be more of a roundtable discussion talking about the similarities and differences of developing for iOS and Android. So let's let's talk about The Apprentice Books, which really is a a great place if you have nothing, right? If, if you're coming in with no knowledge of the platform, it is it is the, the step on point. Yeah, absolutely. When Tom and I and the rest of the team came up with you know, what we wanted the book to contain, we tried to put ourselves in the shoes of someone who might have you know, a little bit of a background in programming. You know, so they've got a bit of an idea of tra- uh, traditional kinds of programming knowledge, uh, patterns. And then we thought, you know, let's Let's just try and get someone to dive into some code, learn learn how to program for Android using you know all the kind of Androidy kinds of patterns, libraries, uh, the kind of things you know uh, a modern day Android developer would be using into their day to day to day job. And that's that's what that's what the whole book's about. We take a reader from pretty much like a kind of Hello World app where they set up a button. It's like a fun, cool little interactive game where they try and tap on a button for as as much as they can in sixty seconds, <laughs> all the way right through to the end where we actually go through the motions of how you publish an app on the Google Play Store. Oh, nice! So definitely, you can get you can get something up and out there. And that really is sort of the first bread and butter, because I know on interviews, it's like, well, how many apps have you published? And and that's, it's not a question of whether or not you publish anything good, it's whether or not you've published. Yeah, yeah no one has time to go on your GitHub and download it to their phone. What would you say entering in would be sort of the, the minimal requirements? Minimal requirements for the book? For being able to to start with the book. All that we assume is that you've got an idea of you know, how, how programming works, you know, so you know what you've are you know what loops and no classes as, as long as you've got them basics behind you that's all we assume so so a sort of a 101 level of programming you, you you're you're not going to teach us yeah you, you 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 assume that the, the, the loops and okay so variables loops etc but i guess clearing your mind of anything that is 
program runtime-ish is is out of the box. You you don't need that. Yeah, that's that's right. We just all the book that focuses on is everything to do with Android. So it's the Android tools. You know, we we want to make sure that you know everyone reading the book understands the tool sets that Android developers use every day. Uh, that's something we don't assume that you no know, programmer one hundred and one would know because tools are different for every single platform, as everyone will agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we yeah we just you no know, we we try to go in depth on what the tools are, why you should use the tools, you know, because some people might think, well, I can do it another way, but tools are there to help you. And that's what we try and emphasize. Use the tools, build great apps, you know, publish your apps to the Play Store. Nice. Yeah. I've, uh, as someone who has worked mostly with Xcode and then started with um, Android Studio, it's like a completely different world. It's very large and vast, which I guess Xcode would be too. Yeah. I, I often wonder, is my, my fear of of Android Studio as, an, as a primary iOS engineer, whether or not I'm just fooling myself because I've been in Xcode for so long that I don't notice the complexity of the projects anymore. Because when I think about uh, an Android project and and the file structures and the, the bundles and everything else, for some reason I, I get these moments of overwhelm, but I forget that, and we'll talk about this more in the second half, the differences that, that exist in iOS. How complex are we looking at your initial Hello World? Is this a, a very... I, I don't mean to say that Hello World in general is a complex program, but do we talk about all the different files and the different folders that are required, or does this everything just sort of fall into place? Yeah, so in the very first the first section of the book, when we're going through this uh, countdown game, we give the reader a lot of help, like to the point where we provide them with a start project. So we go, you know, we just, in this section, we just want you, no, we just want you getting an app on your phone. You know, we want you to experience that first thrill that everyone gets when they're a mobile developer. Like, you know, I want to get me an app on my phone. Uh, you know, how can I do this as quickly as possible? That's the kind of buzz that we want to get people to have in the first section. So that's why we provide a, a starter project that gives not too much help, but a lot of help so people can get to that uh, aha moment as soon as possible. And then as you go through the section, we start to talk about various uh, High-level Android uh, constructs. We talk about how to lay out your user interface, how you can link your user interface to your uh, code in Kotlin, uh, how to get those two things interacting with each other, and then, you know, finally, how to get at the very end of the section, how to get your app fully running on your phone. I suppose a, a fair question then is: the book predominantly using Kotlin, or is it using other languages as well? Yeah, so <laughs> it's it's using a hundred percent Kotlin throughout the whole book. Uh, originally, when we first set out to write this, we started in Java. And the reason was because uh, Google I.O. hadn't happened last year when Google finally uh, gave like first-party support to Kotlin as, a, as an additional language alongside Java. So soon, we were about three months into writing, and then this thing happened, and the whole team was like, right, what do we what do we do? I, I think one of the signs of, of a seasoned engineer is definitely the fact that you will eventually hit a moment where something you're working on will get hit by a, a major announcement from your platform, from your company, where all of a sudden you go, Okay, guys, everything we've done, we, we have to turn right really hard here. We we need to make a huge change and and adapt. I know on the Apple side, Swift did that to a lot of Objective C code. Obviously, 
Scotland surprised everybody. Well, it surprised people, but I know a lot of people saw Kotlin coming and thinking that that was going to be it. But seeing it embraced definitely said, you know, this this seems to be where the code needs to be now. So you guys basically were all all Java and said, no, we got to we got to change. Yeah, we, we want to go where the engineers go. Um, no, just to give service to people who are starting their Android careers and might be reading the book. We want them to use the latest and greatest which is why we made the choice to go full Kotlin throughout the book. What's it like writing a book about a language, or what's it like writing a book in a language that you yourself are still learning about? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nice, simple answer to that one. It's it's difficult. You know, you want to make sure that, you know, yourself will fully understand the concepts that you're going to be teaching and writing about. So you're always trying to double guess, is this something that's relevant to a reader or is it just relevant to you at the time and it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of soul searching to make sure that everything that you put in the book word for word is going to be of use to someone I'm sure Tom as well would have had the exact same uh, issue when he was writing his sections of the book now we talked about this on the Kotlin episode that the community was actually fairly strong at the time before Google I.O. so you, you do have a good Kotlin community to draw from on GitHub and other places for for coding style for coding practices yeah so Kotlin before before Google originally said and support Kotlin uh, technically you could still write Kotlin code using the Android platform due to the way Kotlin is structured uh, when you begin to build a Kotlin program it gets decompiled down to bytecode which is exactly the same kinds of uh, code that Java gets compiled down to and gets run on the JVM that's that's one of the beauties with Kotlin it's it's an additional tool alongside Java it's not an either or choice you can just go well if I've, if I've got a, a Java app that I've been writing for the last two years maybe I've got a new feature or a new screen where you know today I'm going to try something new I'm going to I'm going to go write this feature in Kotlin and I've got no 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 worries that there's going to be problems because when I run that app I know all the code's going to be same deep down at a low level that I don't need to worry about the good thing is that Android Studio has an amazing virtual simulator system it, it can I, I looking at it, it was just amazing how all the different devices it could create and give people the full view it's been a long time coming for uh, Android developers to have a good set of emulator tools like it has I can think back years ago when Android was still you now up and coming we're talking about like the likes of gingerbread and uh, Froyo. Uh, the, the emulator like it was awful no it would take minutes to boot up it was it's eventually decide to run your app but like the whole developer experience of trying your app on your no emulated on your computer was a nightmare everyone just went towards using a device and we all envied iOS and this wonderful simulator that always seems to boot up within a few seconds. That's always seems to have been the experience. These days, though, we've got you know, we've got wonderful presets that try to emulate real life devices. Uh, you can emulate like various kinds of Nexus devices that have now run like core Android that Google releases exactly how it's intended without any skinning by any other kinds of uh, manufacturers. It's it's really super simple. Boots up in like seconds and there's plenty of features in there to try and get you working with 
know, we're, we're games. And yeah, it's it's just a world away from where we were a few years ago. Do manufacturers supply any kind of plugins or something so that you can possibly emulate their systems? Is there like a, a Samsung emulator? Personally, uh, my my style of development is I always want to try and support core core Android system. So I always tend to stick within the, the Nexus emulators. You, you can't customize like the, the device settings, but the yeah, in terms of the software, it's really more a case of if you get a problem with a certain device, you, it's not just the device you need to worry about. It's the version of Android and what the manufacturer's done to it to make sure it's running properly. With that many different variations on how much RAM you might have or how, how powerful the Android is and with all those different screen sizes, you probably really have to change the way that you approach developing for Android and do a lot more testing than you would on, you know, the six most popular iOS devices. Yeah, for a developer who's just getting into it, I almost feel it's it's very intimidating because you're you know, everyone wants their app to run as on as many devices as possible. But with so many different kinds of phones out there, and different kinds of manufacturers all over the world, some that people never have even heard of. It's a difficult challenge and you need to make really almost brutal decisions on what you say you want and you don't want to support. You know, you can't fix every bug out there, but you know, you've, you've got to make a choice that feels right for you mm-hmm. on how you approach that. Is there a feature kind of like utilities or a way that you can check and see if a process is taking too long, maybe make it less intensive? How would you handle that from a code standpoint when there's so many options yeah there's there's, there's a few there's a few tricks that you can try out first the option of course is to you know, check the feature to make sure that it's actually you know performing the way you expect uh, android studio has plenty of a uh, you know, great account of tools to help you know uh, check the performance of your code to make sure that it's running in like you know, a set amount of time that you expect you know there's no kind of oddities going on there once you're happy with all that the the next thing that you can start going into is well you can you can, on a Google Play for instance that comes with a real good comprehensive set of tools you can see like what kinds of crashes are coming through you can see right right down to like what the device was so it could be for instance you have like hundreds of crashes on a certain manufacturer's device but you might have none on another wow. and then you can start to pinpoint. You know where those problems are starting to occur. So if it's happening on one device but not on any others, that gives you clues as to what, where the problem is. And it's a lot of like investigation that needs to go on before you can definitely say that's the problem. I'm also really thrilled because you know having you here to do the the podcast with us, knowing that you know one of the things that you've basically helped people figure out on how to write in the Apprentice is, is putting together a podcast manager so that they can actually listen to you know how to download podcasts, how to play play them that's i think all covered in the book if i'm right yeah that was that was tom's idea but originally in the outline we had a i think it was a cookery lesson where you could download videos and stuff but uh, tom just he just came up one day and he was like hey i want to write a podcast off can we do this i was like yeah go for it so uh, got a big got to thank tom for that one it turned out really well so there's so if you want a way to actually listen to our show on your Android, and you've never done either. If you've never listened to our podcast, then how are you listening now? Strange. But the code is there, and I've always been a great fan of the the technology behind podcasts. I jumped onto RSS syndication and Atom syndication way back at the beginning, and I thought that was just a, a marvelous use. So... 
let me turn the table and ask you this. So we've got a great source for, for jumping on to Android. What things would you say are still difficult for the beginner? What, what things do you wish were a little easier when getting into Android? Or do you feel like Android really is not as difficult as people may think? I guess I can, I'd say I'm a lot, a lot more positive about diving into Android these days. Uh, originally, when I first dived into it, uh, we didn't even have the likes of Android Studio. No, a, a dedicated idea you know, made to run and build Android applications. We had a plugin for Eclipse. Um, you know that was that was a that was your experience as a developer to build apps. You no, know, it's been on years past now, and we you know we have you know, a brilliant tool. We have a brilliant uh, community. We have a brilliant set of uh, resources. You no, know, the developer website for Android is absolutely fantastic for various aspects of it. If you know, it gives code code samples. It gives like good overviews. You no, know, there's videos on YouTube that Google provide. There's 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 a world out there I could go on and on and on, but I really feel that people's you know, block in their head about what Android's about as a developer isn't what it is. You know, I don't want to I don't want to sound like I, I'm mocking the fact that you're from Liverpool, but the way you were saying that things were so good now, I just it sounded like an old Monty Python routine. It's like luxury. We used to have to convert it into bytecode by hand ourselves. We, we were far off. <laughs> So it sounds like the tool's good. Where where would you like to, to see them improve uh, Android Studio? If we had Android Studio engineers listening in, what things do you would you love to see them add or fix or make better or easier? One of the things I think would be one of my my, my personal pain points is location. Uh, in my day to day job, I do a lot of uh, work around like look, uh, location and GPS. And when I'm when I'm doing that in an emulator, it can be quite difficult to work with in terms of like mocking and uh, sometimes even like setting up like geofences and stuff. It's it's really difficult to be able to actually like, work out what geofences you've set up previously. Like you, it's it's funny you give. You give the, the operating system your geofences and then it doesn't tell you what geofences you've set up. You've kind of got to remember yourself or ra- no, write something to say, you've set this up, Re- remember that. I think a, f- a few more improvements around there would make people who deal around the, with locations would be, no, it'd be a big plus. People people do tend to forget that you are writing mobile apps and sometimes you feel sort of strange going, well, the only way I can debug this is to put the laptop in the car, run it in debug mode and and drive around with somebody else because I wouldn't look myself while I'm driving. But but to sit there and go, okay, so are we getting those motion changes and are, are we seeing that? I, I remember when Apple said, okay, now you can put the location in the simulator and they actually have a location of I'm doing a bike ride or I'm doing a highway drive and that helps as well. There's so much in The Apprentice that does get you a really good basis. And, and I love the fact that the, once you get those, those core basics, you do start throwing a lot of those wonderful libraries like like the, the location and the places and the map-based stuff, because that's where you start to really get some of the stuff. I, I mean, Google and Maps, w- once you start adding in some of those functionalities, you really see where, where Android is is singing loudly. I, I, I think, yeah, it's been so hard not to talk about some of these comparisons, because we are seeing uh, engineers being hired on going, well, I, I want somebody who's being able to do iOS and Android, because I want this on both platforms. And 
in the second half of the show, I think we should turn more to say, well, what is easy and what are the easy ways to to, to think about both platforms the same way? And Daryl will be back with us in the second half, and, and we will see where are those similarities and where are those pain points between the two platforms. And we'll be back with that in just a few moments. The RayWenderLick.com podcast will be right back. But first, a message from our sponsor. You're a very good developer. Probably. Regardless, your apps crash. That's unavoidable. What is avoidable is wasting time trying to track down the cause of those crashes. Sentry.io provides mobile and full-stack error tracking that lets you monitor and fix problems in real time. See the severity and scope of the error, get immediate access to the call stack, connect the problem to the commit that caused it, and fix it without delay. Sentry, a name so common they have to include their top-level domain in their advertising to make sure you remember them. Sentry.io. Open source, full stack, and not owned by Google, Microsoft, Apple, or any other giant conglomerate. And a special thank you to Sentry.io for sponsoring this episode of the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. Welcome back to the second half of the show. Uh, in the first half, it was pretty obvious that we were all resisting the urge to do comparisons between developing for Android and developing for iOS, but here we are now. So we can dive in and actually say, okay, so <laughs> let's, let's just jump in with it. I mean, we talked about one of the, the Android layouts being constraints, and as I said, that is is something that definitely, from an iOS point of view, you're used to is tying things to other things. And that is how auto layout comes to be very clean. But let's let's back up a bit and talk about those those differences. I, I said earlier, you know, I'm so used to Xcode. And you, you start talking about the manifest, and is it really that far removed from an info P list for the project? In the ways it isn't. The manifest for an Android app, it's kind of like... No, it's it's one of the very first things you should look at, just so you get an overview of what the app is and what activities are in it, and really what it's all about. I'd say the info P list probably is a bit yeah. Like thinking about an info P list, you've got a lot of things in there like permissions and like you know the descriptions for those permissions, so you actually understand what you know what your iOS app is going to ask for. In an Android manifest, you have the exact same thing really. You you know, your manifest will tell this app requires these permissions, whether it's location, it could be a pedometer, it could be, well, not necessarily a pedometer, you don't have to ask for that in Android. But yeah, there's various various things that you need to request that permission for that you'll ask for in the manifest. I mean, as you were talking about the intents, is that really that far removed from some of the inter-app communications on iOS? I know that there's a lot of URL bridging that's used to say, okay, I want to launch from my app to another app with certain information. Does that really branch too far away from, from Android and the intents? Not that I'm aware of. It's funny sitting as a as a developer. Uh, I in my day to day, I tend to work on both iOS and Android. Over the, and I've done that for the past few years. And there's been times that I've went, hang on a minute, this feature in Android is just taken straight from iOS and they've made it sound all amazing and Android-like. But I've also seen Apple do the exact same thing for iOS. Like the, I think it's called the, the app extensions mm-hmm. uh, on iOS. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that stuff for me is just a lifting of intent. 
sense from Android. Don't know, Devout for years. Well, I mean, I, both both Android and iOS worlds try to live in their own unique worlds. I mean, you have Google I/O, which is all about the the Android innovations and the new OSs and the new technologies, and you have WWDC over on the Apple side, which is all about it. And yet, whenever a new OS releases, you always see a lot of people from the other side of the aisle, so to speak, saying, oh, yes, and we've had this on our side for years, this new innovation that is just another name for this innovation that we've had for a long time. So I think, you know, obviously there's there's a lot trying to prevent copyright infringement or, or trademark infringement, so you have to give it a, a fresh name and a fresh look. But from the engineers, you see more and more call for an Android and an iOS engineer because you want as a business to have your app out on both platforms. Yeah, yeah I, I, I find it really rare to find an, someone who is, you know, I program for iOS, I program for Android. I, I find it quite, not quite, I won't say unique. It's It takes a certain person, I'd say, to be someone who goes, I develop for both of these platforms. I feel there can be quite a lot of... Uh, Fanaticism. Loyalty. There we go. Loyalty, yeah. A lot of brand loyalty. A lot of, you know, it's either this way or the other way when really now these what we're working on these days are quite you know the mature operating systems and you know it's not going to be the world you know years ago when these operating systems came out where they've got lots of bright wildly different ideas you know there's we're at the point now where yeah you know we just want to build and create great operating systems and we want to give developers you know the great experiences that they want yeah and that if that comes from you know a place elsewhere i don't see an issue with that yeah i think what happens is initially you find where you start from and and that's your home base and i admit i am one of these people who's been on the apple platform since there's been an apple platform i started as as many of 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 my regular listeners know i started on the apple 2 you you really don't get much older than that without having hardware hobbyists. But I have learned that there is enough similarity and sometimes that idea of the right tool for the right job. I was one of those Apple programmers who said, no, you want to be on Windows. And then I was a Mac programmer said, well, this is better on Windows or this is better on Mac. But both the iOS and the Android platform have matured and developed in ways that there are apps that work very well on both platforms, especially if you're doing gaming. You obviously want that on both platforms, but there are a lot of utilities now that work very well on both platforms. Now, I've gotten to the point where I'm very comfortable on iOS, and it's not a question of I don't want to do Android, but I think that you do hit that point where there's a certain finesse level that comes from somebody who's specialized, that they know, no, you want this library instead. And do you find yourself happier being able to rock back and forth between the platforms, or do you find yourself where you get more comfortable sitting in one of the two platforms and letting somebody expertise in the other? Personally, I enjoy the flexibility, you know, being able to jump between the two. it, It gives me a lot of personal freedom and, you know, the the work I do, you know, I, and you now if if at any time I feel like oh this isn't quite working, or you know maybe in the future if I wanted to move elsewhere, it gives me uh, skills that businesses find valuable. You know, if it could be if I go for a 
you know, an Android position. But if I go, actually, I've got all this iOS experience as well, that's going to give me a personal advantage over someone who's just an iOS you know, developer. It, it also depends on, you know, what the business wants. You know, if they haven't got nothing, you know, they haven't got an app to begin with, maybe having someone such as myself is a really, really good option for them. Mm-hmm. If, if they've got... No, very no well established apps on iOS and Android, and they've got a really particular certain problem. It might be that they decide, well, you know, we do really need someone who is no pure no iOS de- development or pure Android development. Yeah, it's one of those. It it depends on the nature of the business. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and each each side is always coming out with their own solutions to certain technologies. Over on the uh, on the iOS side, you've you've got a huge push into AR kit for their augmented reality. Um, Android had their own technology they were using for augmented reality, but that had its sort of hardware requirement. And then I know that they've recently changed what their AR-based technology is. Yeah, so you've, you have... Uh, so originally they had the, the, the Daydream, as they call it, the Google Daydream, and that was a hardware-based uh, one of these set of goggles that you put on and now you've got all these wonderful VR apps. But I remember with with Google to do some of that work, you had to have certain hardware requirements on the phone. And there were certain devices that could handle it, but not a lot of the devices embrace that technology. Yeah. So a few, like one of the biggest limits was you needed a certain uh, quality of screen. Yeah. No, it had to have like a certain pixel density. You know, it needs to have a certain refresh rate just to make sure that experience wasn't jarring for the user. No, you, you hear all these stories of people getting motion sick because of certain things and if a screen isn't up to the quality that these apps need then you're going to run into them yeah it's, it's it's early days for this kind of tech I'd say you know and yeah and and both platforms are trying to find what is going to be the right technology but at the end of the day both companies Google and Apple or I you know, would you really say that Android is a product of Google at this point or a product of Alphabet at this point or is there no real separation there hmm. yeah yeah that's, that's a difficult one I'm, I'm guessing the whole the whole Alphabet uh, came about just to try and diversify Google from its various arms yeah you know yeah. Google from you know, not just being you no know, search engines, cars, Google X, and everything else that seems to do. Yeah, I'd, I'd say Android is probably more of its own kind of you know world now. Obviously, it can lean on you know the other alphabet companies to take inspiration and to you know insist in various things. But Android as a product, really, no, it does stand on its own two legs. Yeah. It just has the benefit of being from Google, which has its hands in so many different yeah. things. And- Where I was going with that was while both platforms really have so much that is similar for the developers that inevitably Alphabet and Apple still have their desire to sell devices to further their own revenue bottom line. So they want to have that one unique thing that says, no, this is better for my platform and this is better for your platform. Um, you know, we know Apple has put a huge dive into AR of recent time. We know that Google has always had a strength when it comes to mapping and GPS and location. Uh, but each still always wants to be able to have an offering. And from the business point of view, when you're writing your application, you want your application to be robust so that anybody can pick up any device and have your application. Because obviously I want 
you to use my application rather than a competitor's application or an app, so to speak. I was never a great fan of the concept app over application because it was like, well, app is the mobile version of an application, smaller, more succinct. So let's let's again continue on on these uh, these similarities. We talked about the the idea of constraints in UI. We've talked about the fact that really the manifest and the info p list are this are, are they're not obviously the same, but there's a lot of packing in the specialities of my app that makes it easier for the OS to understand what this app can do or will do from the outside of, of execution. And um, we've talked about the fact that both IDs are really good at making the process of ramping up the app much easier. So we talk about um, the intents and we talk about the activities and we look at that from the idea of the uh, view controllers over in the iOS world that both have that concept of did create, did manifest, did go away and the like. Are there any other things that you can think about from an Android or an iOS point of view that there is a bit of a thinking shift that you need to make uh, from either an event point of view or the like that really it's sort of that gear shift. Yeah, the biggest thing that jumps to my mind is the concept of fragments in Android. Uh, So fragments are uh, another thing that deals with your, your UI. Uh, but it allows you to split up your activity into manageable chunks. Uh, probably the best analogy I can give to it is it's like a child view controller in iOS. So you've got like a parent view controller, but you might have, you want your parent view controller to have like two separate kinds of things going on. And it makes sense that maybe you want to show you know, one view controller later on elsewhere or if you had like an iPad application, you just want, want it to be one, but you might want it to be two view controllers in an iPhone. Uh, on Android, the way this works is through this concept of fragments. So you've got one activity on, on a phone. You may have two sections of that activity, each doing different things. And that UI is separated into its own elements known as fragments. These, these fragments have their own life cycles that are completely independent of the the activity. So the idea is each of these fragments should be able to you know, be isolated away and run by themselves. When when you start using them with activities, you the the mental thinking of how the lifecycle works is quite difficult and very different from iOS, mostly because the life cycle between a fragment and an activity are a little bit different. You get a few more callbacks on when a fragment's actually been attached to an activity. So you know when that fragment's been created, when that's been attached to the activity. And it's important to know that because certain uh, certain things in your fragment can only be set up once it's attached to your activity. Things like there was a good there was a good example the other day. I was chatting to someone. Uh, they were trying to do a network call in their activity, but they wanted to show the response of that network call in a fragment. And he was getting all sorts of word crashes and all that kind of stuff. And what it turns out. Uh, was at some point the fragment wasn't actually ready to show the contents of what it should that response was on the screen and you know it was a few little things and you know made suggestions about it but it just kind of brought home to me that 
this dance between activity and fragments is quite difficult and it's everyone everyone does make a mistake with it now and then yeah so so we're using the terms fragment and and the activity and those are are really the abstract concepts let's let's move down to that more concrete example of a networking call because that that gives us something that we can sort of grab onto there and one of the things that I'll often use is say a networking call that maybe I want to show have I connected have I got data going up data coming back am I reading uh, maybe um, in the old days, we would talk about, you know, when we're doing a download off of a web browser and you want to see, well, I know I'm getting an X long file, like a hundred meg file, or and I want to see that, yeah, it's downloading. So, you know, let's say going back to the, the example of that podcast, uh, that podcast manager, I want to see that. Am I streaming it? Am I downloading it? Have I finished downloading it? Is this that concept from the fragment that maybe the activity is the network connection and the fragment is the status yeah the fragment could now that could be the main job of the fragments it could be i just want to i just want to show the list of what those podcasts are you know i might have a little spinner on there as well that shows when that fragment should be shown to the user i'm loading some stuff uh, and then the activity will be you know what what processes the network and call what dictates to the the fragment that I've got a response. Here it is. Do something with it. That communication between activity and fragments really starts getting, you know, it gets it gets difficult to uh, you know to visualize and to to deal with, and you can't run into issues. The knowledge of having in the other platform, besides if you have a, a preference on that, having that knowledge in both platforms gives you that ability to speak to your, your business managers to say, here's the pain points that the other platform is going to have, or here are the advantages the other platform has. As an engineer, being able to communicate that up the line to the business makers, the business decision people, really helps find that parity. I really also think that from an iOS point of view, again, I say I, I work primarily early in iOS, but I do try to have a good enough working knowledge of Android that I can say, okay, here is where this is going to be a problem on one side or the other. Yeah, it gives, you know, it, it just, it gives you that foresight, you know, you can, you can take, you know, you can take that feature, you've, you know, you've worked in an area of that code base before, you, you have that experience as an engineer to go, actually, that was really easy to do on Android. It's not going to be much of a, no, much of a dif difficulty, or you've dealt with it in iOS and you go, you know what, that was an absolute nightmare for reason A, B and C. So when it comes back to working in that code base, at least you know from your experience, you can go to your uh, project manager and go, here's the way the code lies, here's the reasons why, here's how long it's going to take. And that's a you know, that's, I think it gives businesses just that bit of confidence that, you know, there's someone there who, you know, can, can take that, uh, that, that step back from the platforms and just go, that's just the way it is. You know, it's not necessarily, you no, know, uh, it's not necessarily a reason that's, you know, self-interesting. It's a reason, you know, for the business. Yeah, I, we see this outside of the world of mobile engineering. You take your car in to get something taken care of and the, the engineer who's there may be a generalist but they know enough to say okay this problem that you have in your car is going to require this kind of a specialist and i know enough to say i can see where the problem is but if you really want that fixed now you need that specialist and this really becomes that basis of if you're going to study mobile engineering if you're going to embrace mobile engineering having that grounding in mobile engineering as a whole now means knowing ios and knowing android so that you can at least say okay 
say, I have a specialization, but at the same time, I have enough knowledge to say, I can get you to this point, and here's where your specialist is going to be needed. This is why, as much as I say from week to week, I want to learn this and I want to learn that, I, I think as an iOS engineer, it as somebody who calls themselves an iOS engineer, to not have at this point, a grounding in Android becomes something that you really need to have there as well. And if you're an Android developer and beginning to understand iOS engineering, I think has become essential to be able to at least answer those questions to be an asset to a team that is working in both platforms. Daryl, I know that you, know, you being out in the UK and us recording on the East Coast, the time difference is difficult and we have had to push the show off a few times, but I really appreciate having you here to give us that that insight from not merely somebody who's written a book to get you into Android, but somebody who's been on both sides of the fence on this and said that you don't really need that fence. Daryl, again, I really appreciate your time today. Well, I've loved every second of it. Thank you, Joe and Jay. Of course, glad to have you. That wraps things up for episode eight of the Ray Wendelick podcast. Again, a special thanks to Sentry.io for sponsoring this episode. Next up on episode nine, we go deep into metal. You're not going to want to miss that one. But until Until then, we return to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.